Welcome to the Mission Driven Leader, presented by TaleoConnects.com, where we explore the new, unknown, and innovative themes for work and give people the ability to show up resilient every day. Here are your hosts, former Chief Knowledge Officer of NASA, Ed Hoffman, and partner and Vice President of Portfolio Management at Taleo, Laurel Sim. Welcome back to the Mission Driven Leader podcast. Ed, uh, I'm really loving the the attire that you got going on today, your NASA hat and your rocket shirt. I, uh, you're looking pretty sassy, I'm not going to lie. Do you like it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can get you a good deal on all of this. If you see anything, just Ooh. let me know. Maybe not a good deal, but <laughs> I can get you a deal. I would like a no. rocket shirt. I'm calling yeah. it right no, now. No, you know that uh, I'm very excited about... Uh, you know, being here with Greg. And so I dress to honor Gregory Robinson. You know, this is, this is, I'm, I'm dressed like a, uh, a NASA fan. That's uh, it's, you, you look like a NASA fan. You need one of those like thumb, those hand thumb things going high five and. No, we don't do that. That's kitsch. Big... We don't do oh. that. That's. Oh, I didn't we know. We do that you the military, other places. Oh. Yeah, oh. we don't do that. But uh, I was going to start with a question though for you before we get into the Mm. serious business of talking to Greg. Uh Uh-oh. And, uh, you know, you are my uh, resident expert of all things Canada. You represent Canada for me. Yeah. And so it's it's vacation, family vacation planning time. And uh, I was thinking we should maybe go visit Canada, holiday in Canada. And who would know better about what is the best place to go to in Canada? And so what's the best place to go to in Canada for a family vacation? And what's the oh. worst place in Canada to go to? Oh, that's just mean. No, like, you can't make <laughs> me call out the, the armpit of Canada. Um, okay. The best place in Canada, obviously, I live in Calgary. So I'm very partial, very partial to Banff. Like, it is, it is actually to stunning. Banff. Banff. What's a Banff? What's a Banff? You should be embarrassed. You should really be embarrassed right now. It is, it is one of the most picturesque mountain ranges um, okay. in the entire world. And it's actually well known around the world. Maybe you should get out of your podcast and see some sights. Like, that's, that's embarrassing. I'm going to send you some pictures Greg, of, of the Greg, have you ever heard of Banff? Um, I'm gonna plead the fifth, like so many people do these okay. days. That's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I, I'll send you wow. some pictures of Banff, but it All is right, cool. it is pretty beautiful, quite beautiful. All right. And then you get sounds to visit like, me. So sounds like the Hoffman that. family is going to Banff. I'll tour you guys around like you've right. never been toured. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds. It also gets into see this connects. You're probably wondering what does this at all have to do with, you know, talking to you know Greg Robinson. But it has a lot to do. It has to do with decisions. Oh, yeah. And you make this one of the most important decisions is where do you go on vacation? How do you holiday? What's right? What's, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think it, it's all connected. I'm uh, I'm keenly excited to learn from Greg about getting people to make a decision. It's <laughs> exhausting. So uh, perhaps I should uh, do a brief introduction. Well, I don't think, Greg, you need an introduction, but uh, the, the, the least important part is probably you're a longtime friend of mine. 
Uh, we've known each other for probably sorry about 30, that <laughs> for probably thirty years, and uh, going back to our NASA Goddard spaceflight uh, center days. Uh, most recently, Greg was the program director for the world famous uh, James Webb Space Telescope, probably the most successful NASA mission uh, ever. Uh, I would say, wow. because of the data that's collecting now and in the future. Uh, Greg has been a deputy center director at the uh, Glenn Research Center. So he has executive leadership expertise in addition to program director expertise. He's senior executive for a lot of the science missions, all the things that NASA flies and sends out. He had a lot to do with uh, those, those activities. Um, I worked, he was my boss, Laurel, for a period of time as the uh, deputy chief Sorry engineer of all of NASA. No, he was a good boss. No, I was telling Greg's story, not you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, when I first met Greg, we were both at the Goddard Space Flight Center, NASA Goddard. Greg was a very young engineer. He looks the same but he's a very young engineer. And uh, you were being sent to the uh, Goddard Leadership Education Series, uh, which is how you develop leaders at, in the organization. And I was running that. And the first thing you came up to me and your question was, why do I need this leadership training stuff? What am I going to get out of it? And uh, for the rest of our careers, where am I? What, whenever I've been with you, you just ask questions constantly that uh, are, are kind of annoying to me because they're tough to answer. Why do you need to be here? But did you ever, after going through the learning program, ever get to the point where you understood why they were sending you to leadership development, you know, learning programs with people like me? So first, uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm quite excited, uh, Laurel and Ed. Uh, and thanks for having me. Uh, I can talk about web and program project management and leadership all day long. Uh, you probably get sick of me. Uh, so in those early days of uh, always believed, uh, I, mean, I used to tell Ed this all the time, yeah. you know, a good smart engineer working at NASA, why do I need all of that, that uh, soft skill crap? And <laughs> I probably said worse than that. Uh, but I'll I tell you, after I went to the first class, uh, maybe even halfway through, I was sold and I've been selling ever since. I think the a lot of the leadership skills that we may think we have inherently, and there are a lot for some of us, um, they still need some extra extra work. Uh, smoothing out edges, learning new new skills, uh, new techniques. Uh, and, and of course, we have to live dealing with others. I mean, that's the biggest part of our jobs as we go up the chain and become senior leaders and executives. Uh, so many of those skills, uh, they sound like, cliche words today, uh, building coalitions and, and uh, collaborating, communicating. Um, and, and there are techniques to all of those. And, and additionally, as you start to practice those in the real, in your real job, uh, there's a thirst for additional training and development in some of those areas because you, you can notice gaps as you start practicing. Prior to that, I had no gaps, believe me, because I didn't know they even existed. Uh, so uh, I think they're critically, critically important. And and I, lastly, I've said probably a few thousand times looking at other executive leaders, 
oh, I think that guy or that woman needs to go to this training or that training because they need something in one of these areas. <laughs> is that is that a hint to us right now, Greg? Uh, not yet. <laughs> we'll okay, see good. in a few. Oh, few. <laughs> um, Greg, one of the things that I find quite interesting uh, right now, and I'm, I don't know if it's like uh, a leadership issue or if it's just a, a you know general lack of capability in, in decision making right now but i'm i'm coming across so many people that are in in you know significant roles that need to be the decision maker that are not making the decisions you know we give them all the data and at the end of the meeting i'm like hey like what so do you want do you want left do you want right like which one do you where do you want to go and i'm finding that it's nonstop right now where it's like well, uh, let's, let's have another meeting about it. And I'm like, we don't, we don't have any more data to give you. Like, this is it. Like, why, like, just make a decision so we can move forward. And this paralysis that is going on right now, I, I'm a bit baffled by it. So, you know, I'm continually trying to dig into my toolkit to be like, should I be giving them different data? Should I be giving them different options? Like, what, what is it that I can do to help them to make a decision right now? And I don't, I don't know that it's in my ballpark. Like I'm like, I'm baffled. So there's something called um, the cost of perfect information. So there's a cost to that. And, and what's good enough? 85%, 90%, pick a number. Uh, there's some number that's good enough. And how do you know when you have that as a decision maker? And uh, certainly in the NASA world uh, with large missions like Webb Telescope and human spaceflight, those decisions get pretty tough because you can't afford to fail. It's just not an option. So do you do that last bit of analysis? Do you wait till that last test result comes in? Do you go through another inspection? Do you do another full test of the system, which adds some risk as well? So normally you balance in risk of implementation and or risk of operations uh, in these decisions. But at some point, you have to have enough confidence and the total scope of what's going on to make a decision. I used to tell one of my, uh, I guess she was a resources manager, really good accountant, very, very good. And she could play with the data and whip it around and tell all kinds of stories. And I used to tell her, geez, I need a business manager. I need someone to take that data, put it into information and help me make a decision. So sometimes the data is critical. You have to have a certain amount of that, but you have to be able to fill the gap of enough data balancing against the risk. Do we go to market? Don't we? If you're selling a certain kind of product, you miss a whole cycle. That may be a year or two years. You're out of business uh, at that point. But do you go to market with that product? That can really be harmful to your, to your customer base, to the public. Uh, and, and what's the right decision to make there? One, we're going to be out of business. Two, we may be out of business in, in another way if we go to market too soon. Um, and, and, and there's no, there's no um, point solution to that question, but those are the things you have to balance, but you cannot afford to wait to the last piece of data. So one of the things I, 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 uh, yeah. oh, go ahead. Or, no, please go ahead, Ed. I was going to, I mean, so your job largely uh, with what you did as a pr project manager and as an engineer is making decisions. And you're wrong if you make a decision too fast and it goes wrong. And you're wrong if you spend a lot of money 
and uh, you take too long to make a decision and you know people are saying why don't you go how do you make smart decisions uh, as the program director uh, of the james webb space telescope um a lot of things going on a lot of focus a lot of political pressure how did you you know how did you get to the point where you're comfortable to make decisions that needed to be made well first you have to create common expectations within your with your your customers and stakeholders and with your organizational leadership and then your team and so what are the expectations do we absolutely have to deliver in one year and what does that mean to the team if they think it's going to take 18 months do i go to my customers and stakeholders and say we're going to deliver in 12 months knowing that my team doesn't believe that how do i shape that story for the whole team perhaps i'm making this one up perhaps i will challenge my team i know we can't do 12 months we can't afford to make it 18 so how can we uh, really improve our processes to increase performance and efficiency? And I'm going to try to sell this thing at 15 or 16 months, right? So we meet in the middle. And of course, for my stakeholders and customers, now they have a different expectation. They know they, they can't get 12 months, but, but they will fight me if I, if I say 18 months. So I'm going to go somewhere in the middle. But I have to have everyone agreeing and particularly my team, because if you can't deliver, you can't deliver. It doesn't matter what you say. Also, you're creating trust in the whole chain from the bottom to the top. So you're not you're not selling something that you cannot do um, to your customers, and you're not forcing your team to try to do something they can't do. But now you you create other problems in, in your system or whatever your product is. So it's it's creating the common expectations up front, challenging the team, and also when they come up with these creative and innovative ideas on how to improve performance and efficiency, uh, it's good for you to, to, to hear some of those stories so you can make some decisions on, well, let's go that route. It sounds good. Uh, but not take it, not take that power away from that team to execute. I, 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 there's a, there's a lot to unravel there, but the one thing that I really loved about what I heard you say is that you go back to the team and you challenge them because then it becomes a team execution, a team decision to, to like, let's let's fight the good fight here because I know that we all together, if we're gonna do it, we can do it. Um, and I think that that gets missed, right? Like I, I think that as a good leader, if you, if you really help your team to make the decision, you're gonna come out stronger. So uh, that's, a, that's a curious one for me, thinking about yeah, the so, clients that so I'm I've, right I've had situations, I'm sorry, or I've had situations where, where leaders have gone to stakeholders and said, we can do X. And the team said, I can't believe he or she said that. It's not possible. So then there's a lot of pressure on that team to execute. Now they start making a lot of sub-optimized decisions. And in some cases, adding risk into that product or that system. And you definitely don't want that to happen. The other part in expectations, particularly with customers and stakeholders, is all of this is really about storytelling. The data takes care of itself. Hey, folks, this is hard. This is really complex. We've never done this before. I'm going to tell you 16 months, but it's going to be tight. So let's say it turns out to be 17 months, and it works. <laughs> that, that Ultimately, it has to work. Everyone is happy. They're dancing in the streets. 
So it's, uh, it's also framing the story, not just with data. So when I took over web, uh, quick short story, um, there were a lot of, a lot of problems going on. That's, that's why my arms were twisted and everyone throughout the chain was saying, well, don't look at me. I didn't know about that problem. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't, I never heard this. Then everyone below said, but I told you why well, I gave you the data and the trail was there all over the place. Right. A lot of times we were passing along data, passing along charts. Uh, no one has time to read it. No one has time to interpret it. So you have to communicate the story with the supporting data. And sometimes I just need two or three sentences. I don't need a you know, PowerPoints and PowerPoints of data. So it's, it's the storytelling part. No kidding. It is there. There really is no time to read emails these days, which is um, curious because how are you going to get the information across to people? Um, and when they're in the meetings, they're thinking about the last meeting that they were just at or the meeting that they're headed to. And, and you're hopefully you're catching them where your meeting is actually an important meeting because they've been meetingified. Um, so you have to tell something compelling so that they hear you well enough to then make a decision. That's a, it's a pretty pungent thought, right? Pretty, pretty pungent. Eek. I gotta, I yeah. gotta do better. I gotta do better. Well, yeah. Uh, if I can add to that, um, one thing that's really hard to do is to reduce the number of meetings and or change the, the, uh, nature of the meeting. Because oftentimes when you take over an organization, you walk into a culture of, of the way they do business. And I like to take a step back and say, geez, do I really need that one? Do I, I'm in meetings all day. I park the car, I run in the building, and I'm, on, I'm in meetings, right? And I turn off the computer and I run home and eat and go to bed. All day meetings in between. And, and I slept with my eyes open through most of them. So I, I agree, um, many of the meetings don't add value, but it's hard to cancel them to, to eliminate them and change the nature of them. Um, and, and in my case, I did both. I had to go with some that I didn't think uh, had any benefit at all, actually negative benefit because it took time and energy. And people had to prepare for those, particularly a team, versus the right number, right type of meetings for everyone to communicate the, a certain level of information. Um. I'm I'm monopolizing the entire conversation, Ed. I'm very no. You're that. you're you told me before you were so I'm, excited to have I'm Greg here because so, you're bored with me already. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll, so we'll ignore that part of it. You, you said something <laughs> to me that's fascinating. Uh, one of the things that you said because you're you're an engineer, uh, you're a project manager, you're an executive. You said uh, it's really all about storytelling. The data takes care of itself, um, and I would think that you'd. A lot of your colleagues would see that as that, that as maybe reverse. What made you a good storyteller? Where did you learn storytelling? How do you do it right? And um, how did you learn to, to to use that as a skill? Because I think that's unusual. I'm not sure where I learned how to tell stories or effectively tell stories. I might say, um, certainly, I've had challenges where. I've communicated to the team, to superiors, and 
a few weeks later, he said, well, you never told me that. Or I didn't know that. I said, well, I told you. Um, so along the way, you just try to come up with creative ways to better communicate. And particularly in those cases where, everyone, as Laura said earlier, everyone is running. Not everyone has time to read emails. And once you miss it, it goes to the bottom. You never see it again. Um, so it's, it's really trying to improve on, I would say, bad experiences and also continuing to improve on things that you know work very well. Uh, so, um, again, some of my challenges were when I had to do the uh, started quarterlies with OMB and Congress when I took over web. And, and in Congress, there are four separate committees, uh, two on the House side, uh, authorization and approach, and the same two on the Senate side. And they never met together. They, I mean, that's a whole different story. You had to do all these separate uh, uh, quarterlies. Um, and they would ask detailed questions about how many days of margin. Well, last time you told us, you know, you lost five days of margin. Now you're telling us you lost this. And and they started doing math. And I had this issue internal to the agency with one of the senior leaders as well. And, of course, at some point, it's pissing me off. You asked me to do arithmetic here with you. And this is not an arithmetic issue. We got some big fish to fry here. So, so I actually stopped communicating on a regular basis. This was written communication. I stopped communicating margin uh, in my weeklies, week to week. I started telling the story. Hey, we lost some days. By the way, we gained some also. The team got very creative. We gained some days. We found some ways to uh, uh, maximize how we tested so we didn't have to do three tests. Um, and this is the total. So um, I had to find a way to tell that story. Otherwise, people were trying to hold me to arithmetic. And it was driving me nuts because it was not an arithmetic linear uh, activity. Uh, so that, that's just one example. Uh, and so I had to draw on a lot of things I learned in the past in order to communicate those stories. And, and certainly when you're talking to certain groups that have, uh, I call it power and authority, um, mm. You know, you, you can't always fire back the way you really want to. And sometimes that's negative anyhow. Uh, so you, you find better ways to communicate. I will say um, after a while with those quarterlies, even when the story was it's not so great, uh, there was a certain amount of trust that I'd built up, uh, a certain amount of confidence. Things are not looking pretty, but we, we still think we're okay because we know he'll make the right decisions. And by the way, he'll tell us if it gets worse. I did see that about you. I mean, when this is, Jim, we've known each other for probably over 30 years. And when you introduce a topic, you usually do a wonderful job of providing the context through kind of usually an anecdote or story. So there were times that, you know, I'd typically be representing ideas around learning and development, right, with the academy. And then you say, okay, it's step back now. And you would explain the situation. And then you say, so how would we handle that? So, I wonder, the other thing I've always noticed about you, you really you heavily emphasize your family in your, in, in kind of maybe your inspiration, your ideas, your humor, uh, your wife, your children, your grandmother. How you, and I wonder if to a certain extent you became a storyteller from the standpoint of your family environment, telling stories and being comfortable sharing conversations and building relationships. Uh, I'm probably getting too much into the psychology thing, but I think you've been heavily influenced by your family 
And that, that sometimes I think leads to taking time for the relationship, you know, to step back, to, to discuss, to, to understand a situation through what's going on through story. Yeah. So I'll say two things. Um, one is, and, and, and one of those development classes that we did years ago, can't remember which one, uh, one of the, um, I say teacher, professor, I go back and forth on all these, but one of the, the teachers for that, for that course would always press, so what? So what? She used to drive me nuts. I wanted to leave. And, and I do that a lot. So a lot of times my step back is, so what? Let's create the right context. Now, as far as family storytelling, and I have a lot of stories, um, particularly growing up. And I'll tell you, as my, I have three adult daughters now, as my girls were growing up, um, after a while, when dad starts to tell a story, I turn around, there was no one in the room. They, they would scatter because <laughs> um, they, they got tired of hearing me tell stories. And of course, sometimes now they tell some of those same stories because they were they really were listening. And sometimes I don't think they were. Speaking of uh, stories, we're going to actually have to, to just take a brief break um, and then we'll come back because I, I do have a couple of other questions around the storytelling and and the validity of, of creating a good picture for conversation. Um, but also when we come back, I'd love to hear what your favorite book is. Ed's favorite book is Cinderella because he's he's got this fetish with glass slippers, which is kind of weird. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to hear. Oh, and the smart mission. Oh, right, right, right. I was going to um, hold that yeah. one up too, but I, I won't do that now. <laughs> Subliminal, subliminal. It, it starts to become uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go to commercial and we'll be right back. Thank you. We'll get back to the rest of the episode in just a moment. But first, a word from our presenting sponsor, TaleoConnects.com. As a manager, you know how important it is to solve issues right the first time. If you don't, you risk wasting precious time, money, and resources on things that could make the problem even worse. That is why at Taleo, we start by getting to the root cause of your specific problem so that together we can implement the solution that gets you the results you are looking for the first time. Taleo's unique approach to management consulting and resourcing is focused on building a community of experts that work together to help clients solve complex problems and find success in their businesses. We work collaboratively with you to implement the solution that will solve the root cause of your problem, not just the symptoms of that problem. From management consulting and project management to staff augmentation and resource recruitment, Taleo's trusted team can help you take your organization to the next level. If you're interested in learning more about how Taleo can help you overcome your organization's obstacles and take your business to the next level, visit TaleoConnects.com today. Well, welcome back to the Mission Driven Leader uh, podcast with fast. Greg. Oh, it's always so fast with yeah, us. It's yeah. like boom, boom. Um, and so, Greg, what is your favorite book? What's uh, what's the book that gets you up in the morning? That's a different question, by the way. That's his favorite book. gets him up in the morning? But I'm just saying, yeah. the book that gets you up in the morning, the book that inspires you. Uh, so uh, I, I will mention a few and and. Um, so number one is, is, is the Bible. Uh, that's my favorite book. 
uh, also gets me up in the morning. Uh, the other ones I won't say get me up in the morning, but some other favorites, um, and don't hold me to all the authors. Uh, one is uh, Warren Blank, 108, 108 Skills of Natural Born Leaders. Um, somewhat provocative in one way, are leaders born or are they made? Um, it's a lot deeper than that. And so that's one of my favorites. Another one, uh, and certainly I forget the author's name, uh, is Lion Taming. And I used to keep that book on my desk all the time for several years. And it created a conversation with people walking to my office. And, and, and basically, we, we're, we're born, all of us are born lions, right? All of us roar. And, and we scratch and, and, and chase the food and so on. And, and then the question is, who's the most powerful, the lion or the lion tamer? And day to day, we're all, as lions, trying to tame all those other lions into a team. And you have to develop lion taming skills, know how to apply them and when to, in order to get your team working just like that, that tamer in the, in the ring with the, with the lion. Now, you know that when the lion opens his mouth and the tamer puts his head in there, it could be over, right? Just one, one you know, second or so. And, and that's how we, we work day to day. Uh, those uh, hazards are always there. And how do we train ourselves and train the team and, and more so create the culture and the environment uh, where you can create more lion tamers and, and still be able to, to use that lion when you need them. And, and it's, a, it's a tricky thing. And, and again, uh, we, we talk about soft skills. We talk about uh, all kinds of fancy terms now, power skills, and I've heard a whole lot more. They're critically, critically important. So you have to continue to find ways to hone those skills of, of lion taming. So those are my, I would say, three of my favorite books. I have a any uh, other book uh, that you had mentioned, Greg? Or I, I like I like uh, nonfiction too. So um, I, I like uh, nonfiction books, and and then there's there's some guy I know that has one um, that he recently did. And Ed, if you could hold that one up, um, that's uh, that's on are my. Are you talking about this? The smart mission. That's on my next list. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Laurel's going to fire me. I can see that look in her eyes. Of, no, no. How did I get I, this uh, guy? You know, I, who uh, invited I, him to the party? But you did, Laurel. So I, I, I did, and and what a just remind mistake. you. I mean, what an opportunity it was. <laughs> um, I actually, I'm pretty. I've never heard of that book, Greg, and I'm, uh, I'm pretty keen to check it out now because probably the way you just described it, you should probably be like their publicist or something. Cause it, uh, <laughs> it, it, it really go, like has me thinking that I need to go read it like now. Um, so I'll just, I'll talk to you guys later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, I'm we'll, have, change we'll have a good discussion together. Yeah, so what do you really right. think of Laurel, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that can happen anytime. Cause right. we all know where that goes. Um, I am going to change this and go us, have us go down a slightly different path for a couple of minutes. Um, something that is driving me a little bit nutty is when people overuse certain terms and it's the flavor of the month. And and over the last few years, not even a few months, the term innovation is like uh, like overused. It's like, oh, we need to be more innovative. and And yet they don't change anything of what they do. 
well, we've got this innovation lab. So like we were really kicking it back, you know, and, but they, they don't use an innovation lab the way it's supposed to get used. Right. And, and being in the role that you've been in and seeing what you've seen and making the decisions that you have to make, you have to be innovative. Like you have to have that space within your team, within the organization. And I'm, and I'm curious your perspective on innovation right now and, and help me not hate the word. (laughs) So I'm okay with the word. Um, You know, we we have to find some word or some words uh, for everyone to rally around, right? It may mean slightly different things to different people, but you have to have something to rally around versus a long conversation to frame what that is. Uh, And um, sometimes people use the term, uh, stay curious, be curious, right? When you're curious, um, the innovation kind of happens uh, naturally in the process. I think the key is is creating the environment and the culture uh, and the encouragement, uh, and I would say even the reward system for people to be innovative. Now, if you have a, um, a long-sustaining product or products, you certainly want people to be innovative, but you say, geez, we don't want to mess with these products because this is our cash cow. It's selling great. We're a leader in the market, but you can always make those things better as one of those companies' uh, slogan goes, right? Um, so how do you allow people to be innovative to make that product and our process a little bit better? In other cases, you, you're trying to come up with the next generation or the skip generation, I call it, uh, for your next products or product. And how do you create that environment? Do you need an innovation lab? Do you need an innovation team or or department? We know uh, big companies have always had something that that is a common name, but it's different terms depending on the company called Skunk Works, right? I think Lockheed made that that name popular. In a Skunk Work environment, it's really all about being innovative, new ideas, advanced thinking, uh, better processes, uh, more efficiency. It's all around that less paper, uh, fewer people as necessary, keeping costs down, and let's come up with something that's just revolutionary uh, for our next and skip generation products. So in, in that case, you can have a separate division just for that for that kind of work. And others, you again, you still want to make your current processes and products better. But if you come up with these bright ideas and no one will let you uh, get them into the system, and then you, you can bet your organization will never be innovative uh, per se. Now, uh, just some simple things, and this might be a flaw in my character. Uh, I think my kids and my wife tell me all the time. You know, I walk into a restaurant and I see kind of how people are working and how the servers are working. And why do they have a table here and they have a table way over there and they got 15 tables in between? Maybe be more efficient for this person to have three or four tables right here. Now, some people tell me that's not a best case for that industry. I still don't agree with that. Uh, I think the efficiency is different. Um, So I walk into places and I see that all the time, even in a place where you have uh, advanced development work. um, Right away, I just notice processes that can be done differently or product can be done differently. But why did they put the, the control over here and they can put it here or make it voice activated and to me, that's really innovation. And then the step to get it into your system and processes, that's normally the, in technology, we say the value of death. 
that's the value of death is, is getting it into the system. Um, I thought I was the only person in the entire world that would go into a place and be like, oh, this they just need a laurel for an hour in here. My <laughs> husband even says to me now before we go into place, he's like, do not look at this because you're already going to like have all these solutions. We're not here to help them solve this problem, Laurel. We're here to go have lunch. Right. <laughs> I'm like, OK, I get it. I'll, I'll be quiet. <laughs> Um, well, that's so innovative. That's, that's really innovative thinking, and yeah. and no one has to tell you to do it, right? Right. But they just won't right, give you right. the keys to change anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, my husband definitely won't give me the keys for it. He's like, "You need to take a step back, lady." Um, when, there is if, medication for that, though. Just have your husband call me. <laughs> I'm never introducing you guys to each other. Are you kidding me? Um, one other question on innovation, and then we can we can hop off of it, but. What would be one small thing, like if an organization said, Greg, like culturally where we don't have an innovative practice, but what is one small thing that we could do to kind of, you know, evolve and move forward to more of an innovative culture in our organization? What's that one small thing that you would say, hey, if you try this, that might help you? I won't say one thing. Uh, um so I, I like I like focus groups, right? So again, generally people in your organization are already doing this in their heads or in the evenings. They're already doing these things, just a normal, natural uh, activity. I would say you set up some quick focus groups. All these things need to be fast. You don't plan them over six months. You plan them over next week, right? And say, uh, let's put put some things on the table. What are people thinking? What are people trying to do? And what are the barriers? And I would just say, take a handful of those, whatever is right for your organization, three, pick a number and say, okay, over the next 30 days, we're going to actually incorporate these into our way of doing business, into our command media and all this kind of stuff. And we're going to see how it goes. And maybe we will add one or two of these over the next X months. Um, so that's a, that's a quick way to, to get into it and also uh, find out where you can actually do these things. Uh, just let the team tell you. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I don't think it's intrusive, right, Ed? Like, it's not intrusive to to a culture that is afraid of change. It's like it's kind of opening the door just enough to to create some new energy. Yeah. Well, if, uh, if, if you're working in a place that's afraid of change, it's not going to change. Uh, been there, done that. I think that's where you have to leave or do something. That's why different. they hire me, though. That's No, well, get Laurel. <laughs> I, need some, yeah. I still need some problem companies. See, but if Come they're on. afraid of it, then they're probably not going to hire you. Um, yeah, one of the things true. I wanted to explore with you, Greg, is um, people have remarked uh, uh, to me, uh, you seem very, uh, you know, very, very comfortable with yourself, uh, would be the word, very solid. Uh, uh, really, as long as I've known you, I, you, you, you have the feeling that you know what you're about, you know what you're doing, you know, kind of uh, where you, you know, where you need to be. How did you get to the point where you're comfortable with Greg? Whoa. No, I mean, um, no, so I mean, it's an important question. That's a big question. Things, it's a big question. One it's of the huge. things that people have come to me uh, when they're complimenting Greg when you're not there is that he's he's solid. He's, he's, he's yeah. uh, you know, aware of himself. He, there, there's no... There's no parts kind of falling off, uh, you know, if, if, if you will. So this is a fantastic yeah, question. Yeah, well, you done, well done, Ed. Well done. There you go. Yeah. So um, 
I'll make a long story out of this. So one of my mentees, who also a senior, first senior level person, uh, when he would do job interviews uh, within NASA, he would say, you know, they always ask this, these two questions. What, so tell us about one of your strengths. And then they said, well, give us a couple of weaknesses. And he said he always struggles with that. I'm not going to tell them about my weakness. They hold it against me, right? And they'll never hire me. I said, well, it's not about telling them what your weaknesses are. It's really telling them about your weakness, weaknesses, your awareness, and what are you doing to overcome them. That's really what it's all about. It's, it's not the other stuff. So I, I know my strengths, and I certainly know my weaknesses. Um, and I'm not af- afraid or ashamed to talk about either one. And... Also, I'm really big on, on using people around me who do know these things. So uh, someone recently asked me to come, come speak at a major university. Um, and, and they wanted me, it's from the optics department, right? So I'm not an optics expert. They said, well, you know, Webb is really all about that big, the big optics. Yes, it is, but I'm not the expert. So, well, we don't, we don't want you to talk about the optics. We want you to talk about the leadership and how to do all the challenges and so on. So in that case, right away, I said, I'm not your guy if you want optics, uh, but I am if you want this other stuff. And I was going to refer someone else to them. So very comfortable, not ashamed. Of, and some people try to uh, mask all of that because they want to be seen as, as the expert for everything. Hmm. And so that that's one of them. And over time with your experience and experiences, as you hear people say in sports, you know, when they go to the next level, I said, the game looks comfortable to you, you know, from when you were a rookie to, you know, year three. And they would say, well, the game slowed down for me. Uh, you know, the quarterback, you know, everything was moving so fast. Now it's in slow motion. Um, or the pitcher or the hitter, you know, you pick a sport. Uh, so for me, uh, with my experience and experiences and dealing with people, understanding development, whether it's in, in space systems or anything else, um, the game is slowed down. So I can take data. I can hear three or four people in the room talking and I can, I can drill it down to just one or two things that need to be done or I need to be concerned about. And that's, what's really been helpful for me, uh, in the last many years. And lastly, uh, in one of my, one of my jobs, I, I did a detail on another agency, um, can't remember how long we were now, 10 or 12 yeah, years NOAA, ago. Right? Yeah, uh, national. Yeah. And uh, which is on uh, Department of Commerce. And they had a lot of challenges, particularly organizational uh, challenges. Um, and and <laughs> uh, some some guy wrote a book, uh, Thriving on Chaos. Um, that was, I think he wrote that book many years before uh, he saw this experiment. I learned so much in that environment, more so how to deal with people and not how to deal with people, particularly stakeholders, leadership, where you can make uh, huge changes uh, without being a lion, so to say. And believe me, I was both in that case, a lion, because a lion taming wasn't working. So you go back to your to your natural raw, raw talent, right? Uh, but I, I learned a lot from that on... Um, that I still don't have to be a lion even when things are, are quite tough. So you're comfortable with awareness is a big summary of that, but it cut, cuts into a lot of things you've been talking about, learning, why you learn, being curious, listening, 
when you listen to other people, you have to listen to the good and the bad, but and knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses. And so for you, it seems like a heavy emphasis on you, you get your grounding through being open to, to the awareness of what's going on and who you are. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, uh, so many, many, many years ago, I still had got it back then. Um, so one of my dear colleagues, and actually uh, we went to Howard University together, uh, we'd be in meetings and she would say, well, Greg, you never listened to me. And then a few weeks later, she would hear me in another meeting saying exactly what she said to me in this broader meeting, not to her, but to the broader ones. And she said, oh, wow, you really do listen to what I'm saying. So now I will say that's a that's a an asset and a flaw. Oftentimes, even when I agree, sometimes I don't acknowledge on this spot, which is a flaw sometimes with my wife too, right? Uh, sometimes she'll say something, and I will add to the what she said, and she sometimes takes it as, "Hey, you just criticized what I said." No, I expanded the conversation. So that's again, that's a that's a flaw. Um, I need to find better ways to acknowledge that I'm hearing you, and or I agree um, before I go on and before I add to the conversation. Um, it's it's interesting how we have to relate to other people's perceptions of ourselves, and how we choose to evolve ourselves so that perception gets removed. Um, and, uh, and I really enjoyed the entire thought process around how you, how you create that connection for that person so that they know that I heard you and I'm, I'm evolving the discussion. That's a, that's a pretty special statement, right? Ed, every time I interrupt you, I'm just trying to evolve the discussion. Okay. Don't be offended. What did you say, Laura? <laughs> it's too late. I've already taken a nap. We're fine. <laughs> You know what? It's it's so unfortunate. We're coming to the end of our time here, and I have oh, so many more questions already. for you. I know. I got Isn't key questions for Greg. Ah, okay. I'll give you one more question, and then that's it, Ed. One I was going to ask him who was the favorite person he worked with at NASA. No, I was not going to oh. say that. Um, <laughs> what, so you teach your faculty at Columbia University information, knowledge, strategy. You teach, uh, you know, leading complex uh, projects. What do you find is the most important message you share with students, uh, which is, you know, what are they looking for? What do they need to know? But um, um, from a, a Greg Robinson standpoint, what's the what's the message that you think is most important for students to, to understand about life or about complexity and leading projects? So I, I'll tell you, I, I've been uh, quite selfish. I think I've learned more from the students than they've learned from me. And reason being, um, you know, my, my experience is space and technology and, and systems and rockets and so on. I'm not sure I've had maybe one or two students in my class. Most of them are not from that, that arena. They, I mean, from theater to marketing to finance, you pick the area. And all of them are extremely smart. I mean, that's why they're in Columbia Graduate School, right? Um, so I, what I really learned is how I can take all of my experiences and it's applicable to everything. 
So all of these things we talked about today are transferable, regardless of industry, product, sector, and, and so on. And that's one of the things I really try to um, get across. It's really about leadership. As Laura mentioned earlier, it's about uh, decision-making, uh, taking data. I know, you know we're in the world of, of uh, big data and quantum and all of these things and analytics. Take the data and turn it into a, a what I call an information product or a knowledge product, and then make a decision and try to do that with some kind of haste, uh, without without rushing, if that makes sense. So that's those are the those are the main areas I try to convey. I use a lot of case studies to help with that because situations are so different. Uh, in, in sports, I'm thinking I'm thinking American football here now. You know we. We often talk about go Eagles. <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. Uh, we talk about <laughs> down and distance. If you're the the player on the field or the coach, what's the down? What's the distance? And what's the clock? Right. So it's it's time, it's location, and situation. Right. And and you know you can change location and you know, for something else. So what's the situation? You know, do I need to get this out by the end of the year? Um, what's the environment? I'm not going to get any more money uh, from anyone. And, and the list goes on. Uh, so what data do I need? The least amount that I need, not a whole lot. That can help me make a good decision. And so I, I use a lot of time with that. That's, uh, that's fantastic. And my head was nodding. Uh, it was like I had a bobblehead going because uh, <laughs> I connected with pretty much every point that you had. And I, I think there's a lot of value in in having a lot of different industry experience or a lot of people around the table that have a lot of different industry experience to broaden conversation. Um, I also think from what you were saying that case studies are the best way for us to learn from our past to not make a mistake for our future and, and really inform and educate others. Um, but for some reason, we, we still make the same mistakes that the case study made. <laughs> I don't know why that happens. Um, but it, it is a, it is a very interesting and I think good approach to, to get people to look at things that way. And obviously I'm a huge sports fan, so I'm going to take that conversation about where are we at on the field and how much time do we have left and what are we, what are we trying to accomplish here? Um, Cause I, that, that was a great picture for me just there. Yeah. I think he's telling you that uh, we're coming to the end of this. That's what he, oh. it's a nice way for saying, isn't this going long? Huh. Oh, I, I thought he was just saying, Hey, let's get another touchdown Laurel. Thanks Ed. Well, That's what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> but we only have in the case of Kansas city, we only have 13 seconds. So let's yeah, no yeah. You can do a lot with 13 no seconds if you're having the right people, right? That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, I have to thank you so much, um, Greg. And, and I just, we could have, we could have went for so much longer because what you bring to the table is, is a really calm and thoughtful approach to how you share information. And it reminds me, Ed, that we really need to bring someone on to educate us on storytelling, like that, that's, if, if, if you've got that in your pocket, somebody that educates others on how to tell a good story. Um, I think, I think that would be amazing because that's, that was if great. If you want it, show, we're going right? to do it. Yeah. That's yeah, it. I, we'll make that man, happen. That's, That'll be a focus right. point. 
it's yeah. the right thing the way Greg was sharing. So I just, I want to thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Ed, what's the one key thing that out of this that you took away that, uh, that, that you want to share with the, uh, the audience? Plan the vacation in Banff. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of what Ed. sticks out to me. And then uh, if you're asking about the, uh, the discussion with Greg, it's, I think being comfortable being yourself um, by trusting, listening to other people, by being aware as to what's taking place. And, um, you know, that, that kind of sense of, of comfort then extends to other people. And then collectively, you can have success at things like the James Webb Space Telescope. It really, it's a community. We're common. We work together. Uh, but it, it comes from that position of listening to each other. So you didn't think I was paying attention, did you? Laura, I can see that. Uh, I was like, yeah. "How did he pull that one out?" Hey, Greg, yeah. I would. I, I thought he was googling uh, vacation in, in Canada, so he could find the <laughs> mountain. <laughs> I think he still is. I think he still is. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. Well, um, thank you again, Greg. Uh, I guess one last question for you is: is before we finish, is what? What is your superpower, and how do you water it on a regular basis? We just wow. we need to know before we end. How do we water you, Greg? That's mm -hmm. you've probably never been asked There's, that question before. Never been asked that. There you go. I'm full um, of it. I'm full of it. So I, I'm. I'm not sure what what my single one is. Um, we talked about uh, one area. Um, I'm I'm very comfortable in in my space and in my skin, and and um, as one. Uh, football player used to say, probably still does. I won't use his name. He used to say, I love me some me, right? Not in an arrogant way, but uh, I'm, I'm comfortable uh, with who I am. I'm satisfied. I don't need to be taller. I don't need to be stronger. I don't need to be faster. Um, and, and the other one uh, that's really near and dear to my heart is I just love people. And I don't care walks of life, background. Um, and we don't have to meet in my space on my terms. I believe in taking people where they are and we move forward together. That is fantastic. That makes me want to love me too. <laughs> Laurel is going to follow you home me. now, Greg. I am. Laurel is going to follow you home. He didn't give me the address to his house. I think he already knows that I was going to follow him home. Yeah. So. Well, I well, can send a request for a new podcast host. You know, when you're in the U.S. sometimes, we, we do have to make this conversation several hours. Yes. No kidding. Absolutely. I cannot wait for that day. Um, well, thank you, Ed, always. And Greg, I, I cannot wait until we get to talk again. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I've got a bit of a crush on you. Um, and uh, and now, I just... now we're getting into dangerous areas. <laughs> what a great day. Thanks so much uh, for being part of the Mission Driven Leader. Um, we're fortunate to have had you on the show and, and cannot wait till the next time we talk. Until then, though, next time. Thank bye you. All. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mission Driven Leader podcast presented by TaleoConnects.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review wherever you listen to the show.